Welcome to the Open Church Podcast, a place for disciples to be made. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Cameron and Robert here. As always, very excited to be talking about Bible stuff again. Robert, love talking about Bible stuff. It's just fun. Thank you for doing this with me. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Um, I love the Bible, so this works out for me too. <laughs> All right, then. Well, now that we've established that we both love the Bible, uh, we wanted to do some follow-up on the episode that we uh, released recently. We had Dr. Leighton Flowers on the show, and he's uh, – is an evangelist and apologist, but he also does a podcast called Soteriology 101, where he talks all about Calvinism and why he's no longer a Calvinist. And he delves very deeply into the, you know, the theological issues that surround this particular issue. And he talks about the relevant passages of scripture, really in depth. And there's a lot to learn from his show. Um, but we just really scratched the surface of this this topic in Calvinism last week, Robert. So we want to do some follow-up and maybe get a little deeper into some of the things we weren't able to cover uh, with Leighton. So what, were there any big takeaways from last week that you wanted to hit, or is there a specific issue you wanted to start with? Well, yeah, I think the first thing to start with is why does this even matter? Um, if you follow uh, uh Leighton, sorry, had to make sure I've got the name right. Hate to mess up a doctor's name, right? Um, so he does a podcast called uh, Soteriology 101. Um, and it's based in some of the things that uh, the listener can hear on the last podcast. But I was just thinking, like, for somebody who doesn't know the ologies, uh, what is soteriology? And in short, it's the theology of salvation. Uh, that would be the shortest way I know how to describe it. Um, and I think that's, it's an interesting uh, concept. It's an interesting idea. It's something definitely worth uh, thinking um, and talking about. But that's where terms like Calvinism, which we dove into uh, in a large way and definitely compared it to Arminianism, as well, but those fall under the soteriology um, uh, banner, if you will. And then what else uh, we need to look at is the practicalities of those, which we did uh, with Professor Layton, um, Dr. Layton. I, I, he's got so many titles, I don't know what to call him some days. Um, friend, let's call him a friend in God. Uh, but anyway, my, my whole point is like, like these things are worth... Um, definitely talking about in the 30,000 foot, but I love how even in that short podcast uh, last week, um, he, w he really worked on getting it to uh, ground level application. Uh, what are we doing with this? So I, I really enjoyed that with, with him. Um, it's so easy to get into these $5 and $7 words uh, by length and by terminology, and then forget that all of that discussion needs to result in practical application. Uh, so there you go. There's my soapbox for, for the first part of this. Um, but I just wanted to kind of bring that, uh, first thing in this podcast. It's a really good point. And I think if I can gently suggest, uh, that Christians need to think more deeply about these issues, 
And uh, Robert, you can speak to this as a pastor as well. But in my time as a pastor's kid and as someone who's been on worship teams and who's been in church for most of my life, except for that, that you know, roughly, I don't know, 10-year gap when I was just doing my own thing, um, there, there's a lot of f- emphasis in our culture and in modern evangelicalism on like your personal feelings and your relationship with Jesus and, you know, what, what God makes you feel like. And it's, it's very emotive and it's about, you know, my perspective as an individual. And there's not in that context, there's not much emphasis placed on, I need to sit down and read my Bible and I need to take notes and I need to understand what this passage is actually saying. And I need to think about it and understand how to properly apply it to my life. That doesn't go on very often, you know. It's more common that people do a, a devotional and they read a text. And right, they read yeah. it out of context, you know, and the, the classic example that uh, is going around at our church right now is is a mug that says, I can do all things with the Bible verse taken out of context, <laughs> which, we, <laughs> yeah. which we've talked about. So that would be, and I have some specifics I want to get into, but that's a major takeaway I, I would stress is that there, like, there is a, there is a thinking aspect to the Christian faith. It's not just about how you feel. It's not just about, you know, whatever spiritual truth you think you've discovered. And we put way too much emphasis on that today, at least in my view. Well, and you got straight to, uh, the Bible and how much we don't read it. Um, this is what I can't get get at, and we're we'll 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 get into this a little bit deeper. But I just don't want to take us right off the cliff at the very beginning of this particular podcast. In the last episode, um, something that came up several times, um, I think all three of us probably mentioned this, uh, but I know Leighton did um, several times. One of the key pieces of scripture for Calvinism specifically is. Romans nine. And I can't for the life of me, and I've been through Romans this week. Um, I've been through, you know, a, a real deep di- digest of Romans nine itself. If you put Romans nine into context, I don't, I don't, I don't get how you get Calvinism. I mean, I do, I do. Um, but I, I feel like, a strict emphasis on Calvinism misses the point of the contextual uh, scriptures, uh, the the letter that Paul's creating. Um, and I feel like some of the problems that we have in, in soteriology, uh, specifically with Calvinism and Arminianism, is just specifically from taking certain scriptures out of context and forgetting the fact that, like, Romans— was one letter meant to be read altogether. Now, it doesn't mean that even the early church didn't digest it, didn't dig into different uh, paragraphs, if you will, but like our whole entire concept of how language is written for us as Americans or as English speakers is even foreign to many people groups today, much less when it was written. Um, it wasn't divided into chapter or verse. There was no such thing as Romans 9. Um, in fact, it was just the letter to the church, and uh, forgive me for not having it straight off the cuff here, but, I mean, go to the beginning of it, 
of Romans. And that was the idea of the beginning of what we call the letters letter to the Romans. Um, it wasn't called Romans in their day and era. Uh, there was no such thing as chapter. There was no such thing as verse. Um, even punctuation is something <laughs> um, a bit fun in uh, ancient Greek. And my whole point of that is, is we can get very lazy and go to something like Philippians 4.13 that you mentioned just now, or Romans 9, a whole entire chapter. And we forget that we need to be reading the chapters before and after and making sure that we're connecting all the dots. Oh, I'm riled up today. All right. Let's just, it, it, we can get deeper into that as we go along, um, kind of looking at the scriptures and looking at the proofs. Uh, but I'd love to hear some of the points you've got. Well, Romans 9 is a good place to start. And by the way, if anyone hears this and uh, you're a Calvinist or you know a Calvinist and you want us to talk with them, I'd love to do that. You know, I'd love to have someone on who is, you know, real qualified or at least knows how to exegete Romans 9 and has a Calvinistic perspective. I'd love to have them on. But uh, from the from the reading that I've done, the the way that I look at this 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 chapter of Romans and the money quote really is um, uh, verses 14 and 14 and 15, because Paul's basically making an argument that God's allowed to save whoever he wants. It's not really any of your business what God does, because he's sovereign. He gets to make the choice. So that those verses say, and this is Paul speaking, he says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So if you read that, and the rest of the chapter with a, with a Calvinistic lens, the implication is that, you know, if God chooses to elect some people to salvation before the world began and others to reprobation or damnation before the world began, and that's really why this is so contentious, is people, that doctrine doesn't sit very well with a lot of people, and understandably, frankly. But if you read that verse or that chapter with a Calvinistic lens, it's basically God saying, or Paul saying, speaking to the Jews, you don't get, you know, it's not up to you, you know, so you can say you don't like it. And that's, you know, tough petunias, as my fourth grade teacher used to say. And that's, that's what they take away from that. But one of the alternative interpretations I've heard from, from Leighton and from other, they're not necessarily Arminians. Calvinists just call anyone they disagree with an Arminian. It's sort of like a, it's a slur almost, <laughs> you know, because this dispute goes back to the 16th century. And in any case, uh, the, the interpretation I've heard of this <clears throat> this verse from a non-Calvinistic perspective is Paul is explaining that the Jews have rejected the promised Messiah, who was Jesus. And so now that they've rejected him, Paul is taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And, you know, he's he, he's presenting an argument from from a Jew of his day saying, well, if God decided to do that, how can he blame us? Because he used you know, our failures to bring the gospel. So, you know, what can I say about that? And his whole point is that from this perspective, you know, you can't, you can't justify your sin or your rejection of the Messiah because God used your rejection of the Messiah. You know, you don't get to make that excuse, right? So God gets to take, uh, or God takes the gospel through Jesus to the Gentiles, he takes it outside of, uh, you know, Jewish culture, Jewish religion, and it goes out to the whole world now. 
And that's that's the basic theme, is right? As Paul's as as Leighton has put it, Paul is saying you're not special because of who your granddaddy was. To, you know, he's saying this to his fellow Jews at the time. That's the crux of the argument. That's the background. And so when you look at it from that perspective, it's not really about election in any sense, the way that the Calvinist thinks about it. Do you have any insight there? I mean, you're the pastor. You know this better than I do. Oh, I have so many ways to go. But I mean, <laughs> let's just take your actual point there before we get off into my points. And uh, if you look at Romans 8, and I really think that one of the greatest crimes we do to scriptures is we we take complete sections of scripture out of context. But look at Romans 8. And I'm just going to start off uh, in verse 31. Um, now, for the listener and, and for you, Cameron, think about what, what you have, have the interpretation that you just gave. Um, so listen to some of these words. Uh, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger our sword, as it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, powers, heights, depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he goes into uh, uh, just a continuation right into chapter 9. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies to me through the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the benefit of my brothers and sisters, my own flesh and blood. So here's just a quick snapshot, but combining it with Romans 8 and then going straight into Romans 9, um, Paul is literally writing a lament. He's uh, sorrowful over the fact that he can't be a curse unto himself. He wants for his own flesh and blood, meaning uh, the Israelites, uh, the people of God, uh, the children of, of Abraham, he wants them to know the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. He wants them to know that. He wants them to know that if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, uh, 31. A verse that can oftentimes be taken out of context. Or verse 37. This is Romans 8, verse 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So I keep going on with some of these key verses that can be taken out of context because I think they are the things that unwrap the true significant meaning of Romans 9, including the scriptures that you just read beforehand, because it goes right into the fact 
that Paul would rather be cursed, would rather take on the rejection that the Israelites have given to Jesus. He would rather take that on himself than for his own kindred people, his own flesh and blood, as he says, to be lost. That, I think, is the more significant focus of this than the translated words of elect. Because here's my thing. Here's my question I have for myself. If I got it wrong, let's just say for me, uh, I've been a Jesus follower since I was 10 years old. But let's say I got all that wrong. And what I mean by that is let's say for some weird, crazy reason, I followed Jesus with my life. And then I got to the quote unquote gates of heaven. And I wasn't let in because I'm not part of the elect. How would that actually affect me? And even as I'm asking this question, I don't really care. And the reason why I don't really care is because I know my life is full of freedom. I know that there's peace in my heart and I've been through some horrible circumstances. The fact is they don't seem very horrible to me because whenever you put them to the weight of the cross and what Jesus went through for my salvation, it's not all that terrible. When I look at the people who have gone before me and have given their lives for their faith, for Christ, we call them martyrs. The cloud of witness, as uh, Hebrews puts it, the book of Hebrews. I mean, I, I these are the things that make me stand firm. Um. And I just, I feel like that's what, what Paul's getting at here. I, he, I would, knowing the infinity, the, the amount of change, the amount of life that is within me because I choose to follow Jesus and I choose to search him out and I choose to try to live my life via his, his ways because I do that then I can actually relate what Paul's saying at the beginning of nine. I'd rather be accursed than anybody else go to hell. Or, and in fact, I don't even put it that way because for me, I don't really couch evangelism in heaven or hell. I want people to be alive. I want them to know life. I want them to know Jesus. I have come to give you life and that life to its fullest. I'm not talking about fat bank accounts. I'm not, and Paul gets to that right there. I, I had it in Romans 8. Whenever I know who stands with me and for me and paid my sin, debt, salvation, whenever I know that, man, I, I know I'm more than a conqueror. And that's been, I've been jobless and homeless. 
I've been fairly wealthy. I, I, I know that I am more than a conqueror and it's nothing to do with my bank account. It's the peace of God that indwells me. I'm sorry, man. I, that's a, I know it's on point, but it's also a bit tangent and I'm sorry about that Cameron. It just, man, it, it fires me up when we can have a discussion about soteriology and not realize the real implications. And by no means am I saying we're doing this or, or, uh, and, and, and are latent or I'm just saying that like, that's why I am so impassioned about like, what does it matter? Um, I have no idea. Let's say Calvinism, Calvinism is completely correct. I have no idea who the elect is, but I know Christ and I want him to be known. So anyway, I'm going to get off my high horse and let you bring up some of the points you wanted to. Sorry, man. Get me fired up. There's nothing to apologize for. I mean, I, I think it's it's good. Like if you start talking too long, I'll be like, yeah, Robert, you need to you, you cut it off. But but it's okay, you know, because th- this is what this is for, is to really get into some of these issues. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. I think I would say this this matters, like understanding soteriology matters um, because people base their behavior and how they live their lives on their understanding of the Bible. So I have, for example, I've heard many um, apostates, many people who have left the church specifically cite their former Calvinistic beliefs as reasons why they no longer believe. Mm, So including, I've mentioned the singer from Thrice on this podcast when we did our episode on doubt. There's been a number of musicians. Um, There's a, a woman who was part of the Westboro Baptist Church. She's since left, and I, I don't think she's a Christian anymore, but she was on Joe Rogan's show, and he was asking her, you know, what are the things that they believe? What really drove you away? And she cited the the Calvinistic interpretation of Romans 8 and 9, you know, because according to that understanding, God's saying, who are you, O man, to talk back to me? You know, I can use, uh, you, I can make vessels for destruction or, you know, vessels of wrath, or I can make people vessels of mercy, and, uh, you know, if you don't like it, that's too bad. Right. So a lot of people have read that and, uh, you know, they grow up and they go, oh, well, that's, that's horrifying. I don't want to believe in that God. And then that becomes the argument that they make to the world, you know, so Joe Rogan's probably the biggest podcast, biggest media outlet in the world at this point, you know, he's got a ton of listeners. So she went on the show and she made this argument and she didn't say, you know, this is a very idiosyncratic understanding of Romans nine, she just said, "This is what Romans nine says," and that um, that's disappointing to me because there's a lot of people who probably heard her say that and go, "Well, I don't blame you for leaving because that's that's stupid," you know. So let me I, let I th- me, let me ahead, yeah. I'm sorry, man. I I just gotta throw in right there, like, okay, at what point, like, how do we teach this better in the sense, like? My personal belief point is, let's say I'm a vessel for wrath. Man, I got the wrath of God coming on me. Um, I'm going to get struck by lightning as I go out my door. Uh, you know, once we're done with this, um, I'm going to lose everything. Uh, just call me, you know, Job Jr. Uh, at what point do we get to the maturity? Like... God is still good. Even if like, let's say all of that theory that was just brought up, like, I don't know, man. I, 
I've wrestled with this with my faith. Like, is God good enough? Even, even if I am just a mediocre human, I do nothing special except I follow God. Like, is God good enough? Yes. Is God good enough whenever I was jobless and homeless? Yes. Uh, is God good enough whenever I have no idea which way is up? Yeah. And I, I think it's kind of attached to the prosperity gospel that has been uh, erosive, I think, to to true faith. In fact, you know, let me rephrase that. The prosperity gospel has been erosive to true faith. And I think this is part of it. And I know that Calvinism started hundreds of years before the uh, prosperity gospel, but I think it's just a merry-go-round at this point. Okay, sorry. So, uh, <clears throat> so I'm clear. Are you saying that Calvinism has, I don't know, facilitated the prosperity gospel? I'm not sure what your point is. Can you? No, I don't think it has necessarily facilitated the prosperity gospel. It's not a connection I would make in my mind. I think what it does do is now that the prosperity gospel exists, well, then we all have to be winners uh, uh, in kind of our modern American way of thinking. So if we're not winners, uh, then bad God, I can't believe that you elected me for something, you know, or, or you would ever elect some somebody for like that. We should all be prosperous. We should all be uh, uh, millionaires and never have, you know, wor- work three hours a week or what. I mean, I, whatever ludicrous version of that you want to take, take it. But like, I feel like it becomes a merry-go-round now because you're stock, you're you're stacking uh, theological viewpoints from centuries, uh, and then it does become tasteless because you're not going to the Word of Life, the bre- the bread of life, Jesus Christ Himself through the Word of God. Uh, it becomes tasteless because it is tasteless. It's uh, it's dumb. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to be. Um, oh, anyway, go ahead. No, I get it. I, I would just, I would be very careful and I would put that entirely on the prosperity preachers. You know, I think Joel Osteen is more to blame for the fact that people are are wondering why God hasn't blessed them with millions of dollars. You know, I, I don't think, like if someone takes a Calvinistic interpretation of these passages and then also endorses the prosperity gospel, I don't know very many people that do that because I think you have to be, and this is just going to sound harsh, you have to be somewhat ignorant to openly embrace the prosperity gospel. And for, for, for all of the mistakes I think they've made, the Calvinists are pretty careful about at least trying to say, this is what it says in the Bible, even if we disagree with their interpretation. No, the I, prosper- was, Go ahead. I was responding more to the, the lady that you had brought up who leaves and then oh, brings, yeah, this yeah, yeah. is what Romans nine says. Like, that's what I mean by merry-go-round. No, I, I agree with you. Most people who okay. say I, I am a Calvinism, a Calvinist. Um, that's the one thing that we typically can agree on is the word of God is important. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I'm glad you clarified that because I'm, I'm, I got heated over the particular person you you were talking about. Um, in, in the, the, the sad truth of it is, is that's not always, um, isolated. Uh, it's not, it, that's not an isolated event. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that there are lots of people who cannot reconcile, uh, cultural normalities with their scriptural interpretations because they've not really dug into the word of God themselves. Uh, and, and that's where it creates that merry-go-round. 
Um, I get it. That, okay. And yeah, yeah. I, think, you, I just wanted to clarify because I'm not no. saying Calvinists and like no, they they don't actually work together. The, okay. The prosperity okay. gospel. <laughs> the synapses are firing on all cylinders now. I understand your point, and I think I forget her name, um, but I think she is a great example. And there are others. You know, I've mentioned that singer, and there's lots of people that used to be in the church that have repudiated their former faith. I think they are all great examples of what you mentioned several episodes ago of people who never really embraced their faith and learned it and, and really understood it. They're examples of people who were bequeathed a faith when they were young and they're thoughtful and they're intelligent, but the way that expressed itself was I'm going to get really good at memorizing what I was taught in Sunday school class. And then we get really good at memorizing what I hear on Sunday morning and then if I go to a Christian college or a seminary, I'm going to get really good at memorizing what I learned there. And then I'm going to go out into the world. And they're they're still poorly equipped to deal with the issues they're going to face. Yeah. So and that's I, what I th- drives me nuts. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, 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 in that sense, I have no sympathy for those people. I'm just saying that, um, you know, as far as Calvinism is concerned, I think it's an it's an errant interpretation of, of some of these passages. And so if we can, we need to, we need to make sure that if, if people are struggling with what they believe, we need to make sure that they understand what they're considering rejecting. Yep. Yeah. That, that's all I was, yep. that's all I was getting at. And I was, I was trying to get, get there. I mean, I'm sure we'll go back and listen to that and we'll be like, man, he was fiery at least. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. And, and here's the thing I've, I've corrected myself on the show before. I do my best. Robert does too. We strive to be correct, but we make mistakes sometimes. So if we say something wrong, it's going to happen. I apologize in advance. And if you want to correct us, then by all means, I think that's a that's healthy. Well, and that's why we have a new Twitter, so they can do it live. Yes, yeah, we'll we'll pump it later, but it's just at Open Church Pod on Twitter, so you can follow us there and get all the all the juicy good good bits that we're going to tweet out. Um, okay, but let's go back. This is another thing I I got into it briefly with Leighton when I was asking him about you know what drove him out of Calvinism, but I remember couple of years ago, coming back to the church and being really serious about it, the people I was learning from, the theologians, the scholars, they were Calvinists. And I had never taken that seriously before. So I was like, all right, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to really, I'm going to study this. And if it's true, I'm just going to accept it. That's all there is to it. you know. So I read um, several books. By So the first one was R.C. Sproul's What is Reformed Theology, which is just, it's a, it's a very detailed book, but it's an introduction to uh, Calvinistic soteriology. He just goes through every point of tulip in excruciating detail. And then I read an, another book called uh, The Potter's Freedom, which is James White's book, which is sort of an apologetic for Calvinism against uh, some of its critics. Um, and I have a giant copy of Calvin's Institutes on my shelf, which I'm slogging through. It's literally the size of a small phone book. Um, so all that to say, I'm taking this seriously, or and especially at that time, I was taking this very seriously and trying to understand the arguments. But one thing I saw in these books is that they would present their interpretation of a passage, and then they would say, "Well, what else could it mean? It has to be what I think it means." You know, so it's like if you if you start with that set of assumptions, then of course, because all you're saying is, you know, assuming my beliefs are right, yours are false. That's a, basically what the argument amounts to. And I'm I'm thinking in particular of um, John six forty four. And this is the the passage. You can look this up, but this is where where Jesus says, you know, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want if if you want salvation. That's what it, that passage amounts to. Now, to his Jewish audience, this would have been 
not not just disgusting, but I, this this was outlawed, right? Can, cannibalism is is forbidden in the in the law, Robert. I think that's correct, right? Yeah, I mean, emphatically, it's, yes. yes. <laughs> okay, not not that it would be okay if it weren't expi- you know explicitly condemned in Leviticus. That's not what I'm saying. But my point is is that he's knowingly Jesus. He's knowingly telling them this, knowing that it's going to put them off, and. R.C. Sproul, who, I, again, I love. I've learned a ton from this this gentleman. And when he was walking the earth, did a lot of good. A lot of good. I love I love R.C. Sproul. But in any case, his his interpretation of this, this passage of John was, um, you know, this turned people off. And the reason it turned people off is because they were uh, either elected or reprobated, reprobated before they were born. And that's why when Jesus says this, it turns them off. And later on in later on in the chapter, it says, you know, Jesus lost a lot of disciples from this. And then he turned to the 12 and said, uh, are you going to leave too? And they said, well, you have the bread of life. We're not, you know, where else are we going to go? And so the, the you know, R.C. Sproul, after going through this passage in great detail, his conclusion is, what else could this mean? And the answer is, well, I mean, this is a deeply offensive message, you know. So even if people have free will, they're going to hear what he's saying. And they're going to go, no, thanks. That's gross. And a, a non-Calvinistic interpretation of the of that section of John uh, would be Jesus is talking to Jews who have been hardened, right? They they have they have they have already ignored God for generations, God the Father. And so when Jesus comes, they reject him too. And he's he's basically doing this on purpose, right? It's not time for them to accept this yet because it's going to go out to the Gentiles, right? It's sort of, it's the Roman sort of builds uh, on that argument. And let me, let me get this, just give you a little scriptural support for this. So this is John 5, 37 through 40. By the way, since you mentioned Romans 8, it's always good if you're looking at a passage, look at the, look at the chapter before it and after it, <laughs> you know, read the whole book. That's ideal. But if you're trying to hone in on a particular scripture, read the surrounding context, like we said when we did that episode on exegesis. In any case, this is John 5, 37 through 40, and, and it's Jesus. He says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So there's a couple of interesting things there. I think for one, it, it backs up this idea of what's known as judicial hardening. That's the $5 theological word. But it's basically, as you continually reject God, it becomes harder and harder to understand the truth. That's, that's the basic concept there. But then also in this passage, he's saying, you do not believe you yet you refuse to come right so that, in other words the emphasis is on you have to respond to the offer of the gospel i think that's the, the that's the point again correct me if i'm wrong robert or someone else but in other words there's a whole another way to look at this passage and a lot of calvinists they just hone in on that one section they go boom argument over it's done right and i just i'm getting more and more skeptical of that the older i get and the more i study this well i okay let me just be completely offensive to all people. (laughs) If you can't back up your theological point by the heart of scripture. And what I mean by that is 
you should be able to find echoes of, of the New Testament and the Old Testament. You should be able to. Um, sadly, a lot of modern Christians can't do it because we spend so little time with the Old Testament. But I can promise you, the New Testament is all over the Old Testament. I can promise you that. Um, I, it just it it goes back to that same thing that if you're taking these things out of context it's easy to make the Bible say just about whatever you want it to say. And um, it's just it's just a rough point. I feel like I'm almost beating a dead horse, but I don't know how many times I've got to preach it. I've got to say it before it becomes something that's just ingrained. Go to the source material. Well, we are blessed in our faith to have source material that has been painstakingly saved for us over, you know, 2,000 years, roughly. Um, it's incredible we have this. And it's incredible that we know how accurate this is, thanks to the discoveries like the Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff. Uh, it's just incredible. So why wouldn't we at least study out the ologies and the $5 words we're being exposed to? Um, why wouldn't we do it? All right, going back to you, man. You got you got me on a hot topic. Whenever people don't read their Bibles, yeah, that's good. That's good. I and I would say there's a spectrum of people on any given position, you know. So there are a lot of Calvinists who um, don't read their Bibles, or or they read it, they read particular sections, or you know they hear it on Sunday mornings, and then there are really informed Calvinists that know the Bible backwards and forwards, and it's more a matter of how you interpret it, and you'll find that everywhere, right? You'll find lots of people with lots of different views who read their Bible or don't read their Bible. It's, it's really a matter of uh, how you approach the text. Like what assumptions do you approach it with? And of course, uh, uh, what I think what you're getting at and what a lot of people do is they don't read the Bible at all or very in depth. And then they go, well, I've never seen that in the Bible. So there must be nothing in there about this given topic. And that's just them being ignorant and not actually looking for it. You know, that's not anyone else's fault. That's your own fault for being lazy because you needed to watch uh, reruns of your favorite show on Netflix instead of you know putting in a little bit of work. Um, so, so let me let me throw this out here for just just a moment, just a thought, kind of seeing if if it hits any any buttons. So, soteriology, um, basically the theology of salvation, right? And we're bouncing around scriptures, um, had an amazing conversation. All these things have been awesome. And I think that, you know, definitely learned something. But you're, you're the one who brought this up with Jesus and the controversial, you're the, uh, I'm the bread of life, directly fighting against uh, misunderstandings and misconceptions of the Old Testament. Um, that's just one example. But I think what really gets me fired up is when Jesus was walked the earth, the, the Jesus who's in the Gospels, right? You have a religion, uh, Judaism, uh, the Israelites, who have made it really hard to follow the one true God in many, many ways. Um, Exodus 19 um, 
verse five and six. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you say to the Israelites. If you can continue going uh, with some scriptures like Isaiah 42, 6, um, several Isaiah verses, um, and if you combine all that, it actually becomes clear that the Israelites were not supposed to actually be this, oh, we're better than everybody, or we know the truth and everybody else doesn't kind of people. They were literally supposed to be taking this out into the world around them. But they became so embittered and bickering with themselves, and especially by the time Jesus gets on the scene, over theological points, that they forgot the meaning of it all in the first place. And we talked about it in the episode with Leighton, and I want to be very fair, and and I agree with him completely, that some of the... um, most evangelistic Christians that I've known would call themselves Calvinists, for sure. However, when we spend so much time bickering and debating a theology that's all about uh, salvation, um, when we have a we've allowed these stories to come out like the, the lady you were talking about. Um, and, and by allow, I don't mean like we're mind controlling people. I just mean by our actions, they get to say stuff like that. Like Calvinism is the reason why I've left the church or something, something like that. Um, and it's not just that um, I've talked to several people personally um, who the prosperity gospel is the reason why they're reconstruct reconstructing their faith. And I don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, racism. I know people who will not join um, certain denominations um, because of the racist past that have really not been dealt with. Um, And there's all kinds of arguments there. But my point is this, is like, I I really want to overemphasize that we've got to make sure that the main thing is the main thing. And I just feel like so often in church and theological debates will debate about salvation. Is it Calvinism? Is it Arminianism? Is it whatever ism? And then we forget some of the things that you're bringing up and that Leighton brought up. Um, This is really about being light and being salt and stirring up um, our remembrance. And the reason why like salvation is important. Um, So like I said, not, I definitely agree with you that these are conversations worth having. Um, it just breaks my heart that there's so many people in the U S right now that have a really bad taste because they feel like they've been browbeaten. And a lot of times they feel like they've been browbeaten with ologies, uh, or isms like Calvinism, um, or we could name a bunch of others. Um, but, they feel browbeaten by that. And, you know, I, I guess I fear sometimes we've become like the Israelites. 
and we've gotten away from the main the main course um as it were there's some truth to that it, there's so many fine edges to this and it's really easy to go overboard on any one of them but i think i think there's a balance to be had you know so it's good to study theology and it's good to understand it in depth you know you should memorize scripture you should be not necessarily an expert on it but you should have a facility with it and a familiarity with it um, that allows you to discuss it you know so you don't want to i think the mistake <clears throat> that a lot of people make when they over intellectualize their faith is they say i'm going to read this so i can be the smartest guy in the room and so i can win all these debates and right it's basically it's it's self-righteousness at that point that's not yep. a good no that's not no. that's not a good thing I, I would agree with that that said i think and again robert you're not doing this but a lot of people do this they take the same point that you just made which is that you know it's you know jesus has to be the focus of our faith which obviously is true but they use that as an excuse to dismiss everything else right so they're like well we're not going to talk about the old testament anymore because that's that icky yucky part and there's you know there's genocide and there's all this boring law stuff and you know burning burning you know sacrificing goats and all like that's all that's you know that's hillbilly boring stuff we don't want to do that anymore and we're gonna well paul's letters you know there's some weird stuff in there about women we're gonna focus on the jesus part and pretty soon they basically have a whole new religion that caters to their modern sensibilities and then they can say and again, not that you're doing this, but they will take the same point about racism and they'll go, well, you know, there's racism and, you know, so I'm just going to pick and choose the parts of Jesus that I like. So uh, my only point is we have to be careful in how we balance these competing interests because they're all valid to a certain extent, but they have to be harmonized in a way that doesn't allow any one of us to, to make it up as we go. And I, I see that a lot on the progressive end of things, like we've talked about, right? It's just Jesus basically becomes a justification for anything you want to do and say, and you can hate anybody you want to hate because, you know, you're loving and, my, and they're not. My answer to that is if you're in the scriptures and if you will determine in your heart, um, and, and once again, like you say, I don't mean you, Robert. I don't mean you, Cameron, because I know that yeah. you're in the scriptures. Yeah, yeah, but if you determine in your heart that you will read and, you know, the verse that changed my life is whenever uh, the Bible says, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them, let them ask and the spirit will give it, you know, paraphrase there. And I just, anytime I came across a piece of scripture that I really had issues with, um, that I didn't understand that I thought really did not sit well with me. I said, God, I'm going, I choose that your word is true. Um, I choose that in my heart. Help me understand. And sure enough, and so that that's where, you know, you're talking about my genesis of, of faith story, and that's why um, I can somersault throughout most of scripture is, um, I used to say I was weak with revelation and end time stuff, but over the last few years, I've, uh, there's just been some things opened up to me there too. Um, as far, and it's not secret understanding. It's just like, read your Bible, be committed to read every part of it and be committed to that prayer. Help me understand 
And if you'll consult resources and by resources, um, whenever I really study, I do not consult less than, uh, usually three. I mean, I'm usually somewhere in the seven to 10 range whenever I'm actually really digging deep into something like an ology or an ism. Um, because I want a wide breadth of conversation, um, going on, um, but I'll tell you, man, and that's my that's my big thing. A lot of people will talk talk about um, these things, or they'll get mad at something in scripture. And I always ask, okay, so how much of that have you read? Or have, did you read what's around it? You know, um, and the answer is undoubtedly no. And 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 that's just it hurts my heart. You know, it hurts my heart that this is a reality that we live in. It's a problem. It's a problem for sure. I remember the first time I recognized what you're describing as a problem is when I was talking to a friend of mine who had a similar story to mine. You know, he walked away from the church for a while and he stayed away permanently. And I would talk to him about it from time to time. And one of the things he said, and I thought this was revealing, is he said, I went to a Foo Fighters uh, concert one time, the Foo Fighters popular rock band. If people aren't familiar with them, you know, uh, Dave Grohl and all that stuff. Anyways, so he went to this concert and he said it was this life-changing experience, you know, hearing these songs that he listened to in his car by himself, hearing them with the band playing them and you're surrounded by thousands of other people. It's electric, you know, and if you've ever been to a concert, you know that experience, right? You can feel the kick drum in your gut and it's just so exciting and it really is quite an experience to watch live music on that scale. And he said, I got the same feeling at that concert that I would get at uh, church services or conferences I would go to, right? So I would attribute all of this to the, you know, the Holy Spirit working in me. In reality, it was just, you know, it was just how music affects your brain. You know, it's just a big dopamine rush uh, when you hear music that you like. And he was saying, you know, and his point was, it's like, there's nothing real going on in the church. It's just, you know, basic physiology can explain what's happening. And I think that's the problem I was getting at when I was talking about balance, right? It's like, it's people who have never thought critically about the ologies, as you say. Those are the people who are sort of, you know, they're pushed away from faith by these dumb experiences or these dumb arguments they read on the internet is because they, as you've said before, they never knew what they had. And so that's that's my concern. And I see it everywhere, right? And and the challenge then is that once he's had this realization, it feels like an awakening to him, it's really hard to argue him back in, you know, say, whoa, 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 you know, your experience and you know, your emotional state, that's really not relevant because that's the thing that, you know, tipped the scale for him, you know. So it is a really big problem that we're talking about here. Well, and for and just to kind of relate directly to that, my thing whenever I'm talking to the individual and whatever's going on, because things like that is not uncommon, right? My thing is always, okay, um, and I've said this on, on the show before, like we've almost reduced going to church to three songs and a TED Talk. And I've even said not a very good TED Talk sometimes at certain places. <laughs> Whenever it's reduced down to that, then yeah, man, he's totally correct. Except for that's not what the faith is founded on. That's not 
there were no sound systems in the early church. You had Paul <laughs> literally preaching in front of uh, idols, you know, statues of Zeus or whatever, you know. Um, you have you have Paul literally using an inscription on a temple to the unknown God and saying, that's the God I'm talking about. Like, think about that for a moment. Think about what Paul's really getting to there. And you have the early churches meeting in, uh, at, at some points in catacombs, uh, uh, think mausoleum underground type deal for anybody who doesn't know what the term catacomb is, you know, this is a graveyard underground and they're meeting there because, um, they might get killed. Seriously, might. There's no sound system. I, it would be an amazing echo chamber. Um, as a fellow musician, Cameron, I mean, you'd probably appreciate playing drums and something like that for for at least a little while. Um, I just that's not what our faith was based on. And and you brought up about Jesus saying, "I am the bread of life." If I really want to be um, loose with my language, I mean, I'm the bread of life. Eat me, <laughs> like, and I know that sounds terrible, but like, <laughs> well, that's I mean, what they got out of it. Though, if it was, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, uh, and he was okay guy, with losing whatever <laughs> thousands. I mean, it, yeah. we don't really have a grasp of how big of a daily following Jesus had. But we do get this idea from Scripture. If we really will, will look and we'll read, we're talking about the ancient equivalent of a rock star coming to town. Um, think Billy Graham Crusade, but without ever any type of infrastructure to pull it off. And the reason why I say that is because, like, I think we forget, like when Jesus says that and he knows how it's going to play in the Israelites ears, he wants the people who will, who will follow him, who will seek the truth. Um, but man, it's so easy to just get stuck on an ism or an ology. Um, and all those, like you said, it's important, right? I, but if you get stuck on it and that's the island of your faith, then you've, you've, you've missed the boat. Um, and that's my thing. I've just known so many people who get stuck on Calvinism and they never get off of it. And it, I've just see their faith sometimes shrivel up and it could be anything prosperity gospel. You know, um, there's just several islands you can get stuck out, uh, landmines, if you will. Um, and I think that's what hurts my heart the most is, 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 there's a richness. Um, you have the words of life. Where would we go? I, but that's still true today. And and I feel like there's so much that we allow to cloud that, you know. So that that's where my my uh, grievance and my hurt is. Yeah. I And way to bring it full circle. I think that's the thread that ties everything we've talked about together is that no matter what your your special belief is, um, if you're prizing that over the gospel, then I think you're, you're, you're in danger of, and maybe you've, you've fallen into idolatry. You know, if it becomes about, <clears throat> you know, you defending the particular language of a confession you really like, or a certain systematic theology that you really like, 
it's so, you know. So let me bad. put it let me put it this way, since it's kind of a full circle thing. I, I did a sermon once, and uh, I, I was the evil dude who like took the pews of the church and we got rid of them. And it was beautiful hundred wood hundred year old oak pews. Um, so uh, obviously I didn't didn't want to just trash these things. So what we wound up doing is we made new structures out of these things. Um, we used them to create some um, dividing places um, in the church to divide like a, a counter or whatever. Um, but I I had several of the planks made into a cross um, for a sermon uh, one morning. Got some nails and got some sharp, you know, got a sharpie with some paper, and I wrote. <clears throat> Uh, part of the sermon is I, I wrote on the paper some things you can define me as. And and by the grace of God, there's even things that uh, we could add today um, versus back then. But um, I've been a teacher, so you could define me as that. I've, I've been a business owner. You could define me uh, as that. I've uh there's a lot of things that I've been. I've been a preacher. I put that up on the cross. Um, I, I'm an author now. Um, you know, you could put that up on the cross. Um, there's just so many things that could define me. I'm looking right now as I'm recording. I had taken off my baseball cap. Um, so my headphones fit a little better. Uh, and it's got the New Orleans Saints. You could define me as a New Orleans Saints fan. Don't judge me. I'm from New Orleans. It's just in the blood, right? Um, you could just define me by so many different things. But that's the thing about following Jesus. If we're really going to follow him, then our definition should be, I'm a follower of Jesus. And the rest is just extra. We have a term in South Louisiana. It's called lanyap, a little something extra. The rest is lanyap. But I am a follower of Jesus who loves digging into different theologies. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I'm a Calvinist. And you know what? If you're a Calvinist, we may not agree on some theological points. We love you. First of all, I want to say that we've kind of had these rough couple of episodes, but we love you. We want you to stick around. We want you to, to give you your opinion. But anybody who will define themselves or allow others to define themselves by anything other than I am a Jesus follower, let me be completely honest. You missed the boat. You missed the boat. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, there's certain circles that you're in, uh, Cameron, uh, where you're defined by some titles, and there's some people who, as of right this moment, don't even know you're a Jesus follower. But you yourself would define yourself first and foremost, I am a Jesus follower. Would you not? Yeah, I just say Christian. I don't, I, that, that label doesn't bother me. I like it. It's a good one. I think it's stuck for a reason. But yes, well, to answer your question. And you you can use Christian. The problem is, is for a lot of people, remember from the South, he's from the West Coast and they, they're weird over there. Um, <laughs> um, it's true. It's true. It's a nutty place. Um, but 
and, and but my, my whole point of that is even with our ologies, um, if we allow ourselves to be defined, and I think that that was the thing with Leighton that I really, really liked is we talked so much about Calvinism, right? And I, it was a question that I had ta- asked about paraphrasing the question, but some of the other, other stuff he's in, and he really wanted to overemphasize that like, Hey, look, I do this and I do this podcast, um, that, uh, is, and, and I'm looking it up real quick because I'll, I'll butcher the pronunciation if I'm not actually looking at the word. Soteriology 101 is his podcast. He's like, and a lot of people define me that way, but I want people to know, like, and he just, I mean, I almost fell asleep because the list was so long with all the other things he's involved with and he leads and he does, you know? Um, (laughs) But my whole point of that is like, I think it was a beautiful moment in that, that episode that um, these conversations are important, right? But the defining thing must be um, that faith in Christ. You can call it Christian. If you're on the West coast, go with that. Uh, if you're in the South, consider a uh, follower of Jesus because uh, being a Christian is much more culturally what you're just born into in the South. So consider that one. Um, do I really follow Jesus or was I just born into this? Do I really know my faith or actually have a faith? Um, so I'll just throw that one out there and, and I'll leave it there. I've done a lot of talking. I don't know. I, I just I was fired up, man. I thought Layton was was awesome. Um, the episode I think is really, really good. Um, and I think there's just so much, like we could spend probably 10 episodes just breaking it down. Of course, we've got other topics we want to talk about, but. That's a true fact. That's a true fact. There's lots of stuff we want to talk about. So we'll revisit this at some point. Leighton said he's willing to come on again. So maybe if there's a finer point of reform theology that we want to talk about, we can have him on or. Just dive into it because it, it is interesting and I think it's helpful to illuminate what a certain ology or a certain doctrine actually means. Um, we're going to leave it there for the week, folks. As uh, as we alluded to a minute ago, we have a Twitter now. It's just at Open Church Pod. So follow us. We put the episodes out there. We have conversations. It's lots of fun. So if you have questions or you want to tweet at us, We'll definitely interact with you. The email is uh, openchurchpod at gmail.com. The website is openchurchonline.com. And uh, Robert, there's a Facebook and an Instagram as well, right? Yep, all open church. Um, Right now we've got uh, a neon open on a black background on um, a lot of this, a lot of the different things. Um, We'll let you know if we we change that anytime soon but the idea is to get that idea the imagery out there that like we're open for the discussion we're open for the debate we're open for you um wanting to you know agree disagree hey we're open to that but at the end of the day um what we want to convey is hey the church is open it's real um the power of jesus is open it's real grace is there and uh, come and get it. And uh, not only that, but let's go bring it to people too. Mic drop. See you next week, everyone.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Open Church Podcast. For more information or how to engage, please visit us at openchurchonline.com. We'd also like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, BeAwesomeReadBooks.com. Thank you.